Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Before we get into the heart of this episode, I want to mention something new that I've put up on the website. I got an email from a student, a nice person by the name of Anne. And she has been using my beginning mandolin video lesson series. And a long time ago, as I was creating these videos, I created a checklist, a lesson checklist. And the reason I did that is because I have free video lessons and I also have the premium download video lessons that people pay for. And... I wanted to make sure that as people followed the um, the premium downloads that they didn't miss some of the information that I put out in the free lessons. So I created what I called the beginning Madeline lesson checklist, and I listed all of the videos, both free and premium, in the order that I thought best suited a beginner. So I had this beginning Madeline lesson checklist and on the website you could download that and kind of keep track of where you were and maybe there was one of the free videos that you had missed and you know it would remind you of to go back and watch what is a chord or what is a scale those sorts of things so i had this really nice checklist for beginning students well ann wrote me an email and said i've been using that and i've moved into the intermediate series and do you have a checklist for the intermediate series and i i had to confess that i had not actually created that so i sat down yesterday and created the second page to the checklist which is the intermediate series and it's similar in concept it it lists both free and premium video lessons in in the order that i think you know best suits most students and a lot of this is based upon my experience with private lesson students, you know, kind of what order to take things in. You'll notice as you sort of graduate from the beginning series, as you move into the intermediate series, I'm hitting you with a bunch of new tunes right off the bat. And it's it's three or four or five lessons that are sort of song-based. And, you know, that's because at that point you've developed some skills and you need to get some mileage and add some tunes so that you can get out there and do some jamming and stuff like that. And then as the intermediate series progresses, I begin to turn corners and get more into improvisation and a little bit of theory stuff so that you can begin to improvise those solos on those songs that you don't know at the jam session. So anyway, to make a long story short, thanks to Ann's email, it got me off my duff and I finished the checklist and that is now available on my website. And the, the link to get it is www.bradleylaird.com slash play the mandolin slash videos.html. And I know that's way too much to try to remember in the, you know, if you're driving down the road uh, listening to this podcast. So just remember on the show notes page, for this episode, 
I will put a link directly to that lesson checklist. So if you're one of those people using my mandolin video lessons and you would like the expanded version that contains the beginner and the intermediate series, just go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this episode, click that, and I'll put a link to that checklist right there on that page so you don't have to remember that crazy long URL. Okay, now on to the heart of this episode. If you've been listening to these podcasts, you know what a fan of books I am. I was practically raised in a library. If given the choice in school to go out on the playground or go mess around in the library, I would generally pick the library. I'm kind of a book freak. And uh, also being a bluegrass fan and player, I have uh, accumulated quite a quite a collection of bluegrass related books and I've talked about some of these in some you know past episodes. Well, it wasn't too long ago that I saw a little notification on Mandolin Cafe of a new book coming out, a a biography of Bill Monroe. And I thought, oh, I've got to have that." And it turns out it it is a new children's biography of Bill Monroe and it's called Bluegrass Boy. And it was it was available as a pre-order through Amazon, so I instantly ordered it. I used the excuse of I'm buying this for Jackson. Uh, but it, of course it was really for me. <laughs> anyway, I ordered the book and I've just been waiting and waiting. Can't wait until the book ships. Well, I uh, I got the book. And uh, after I looked at it, I thought, I've got to contact the author. So I did. I contacted uh, Barb Rosenstock, who wrote the book, and we set up a little interview. And let's just turn to that now, and all of you can hear Barb talk about how this book came to be. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you for writing the book. Ah, that's so nice when people say that. <laughs> well, listen, we bluegrass people are happy to get any kind of attention at all. And for someone to take the time and actually think that Bill Monroe was somebody of some significance and sit down and write a book, especially a book for children, I think is, I take it as a bluegrass fan and participant in bluegrass, I take it as an honor. It's like, Wow, someone actually noticed us over here in the corner. Yeah. So, uh, where tell me and the audience how you got the idea to write this book. Okay. Uh, well, I have no sense of direction. <laughs> and my son, my oldest son, is uh, was in school in Bloomington, Indiana, at Indiana University. And somehow, on a ride back, I got turned around or something on 37 between Bloomington, Indiana and Chicago and wound up in Bean Blossom, Indiana, um, which I had never heard of before. <laughs> and um, I stopped and got gas. And then I thought, cute town. And I started just kind of driving around since I was lost anyway. I needed to find my way back. And I kept seeing billboards with this guy's name on him, Bill Monroe. Who's he? You know, I'm serious. <laughs> um Obviously, if you would have said to me, you know, do you know what bluegrass music is? I would have given the traditional, yeah, it's banjo music, you know, but I'd never heard of Bill Monroe. Mm -hmm. 
And um, then I got farther uh, closer to the um, where the actual Bluegrass Festival is held. And um, the little they have a little Hall of Fame like museum there. And it happened to be open. And I'm a history nerd. So I just walked right in and was kind of instantly captivated. I mean, it's it's a small place, um, but there was enough there about uh, Mr. Monroe's story that I just was like, a man invented a kind of music. Like, is that really true? I mean, it just started me on this path of all kinds of questions. So um, then the, the real idea for the book being, you know, I, I know since you've read it that you know that it's really about bluegrass coming out of... Uh, than the sounds around Bill Monroe. Right, right. And um, that idea really came from uh, Monroe's own lyrics. Uh, starting from that day, I drove, I finally found my way back to the interstate um, <laughs> and drove back to Chicago. And the whole way I searched and found Bluegrass Junction and literally listened for the three and a half to four hours it took me to get back to Chicago, literally listened to that station um, for four hours, trying to figure out, trying to wrap my head around how, the sounds and the sounds of the music could go together. And um, they did play a number of Bill Monroe um, songs. I heard a number of my first Bill Monroe songs that day. Wow, that's and, good. Um, a lot of his lyrics, you know, I, you know this, are very autobiographical. And um, I just thought, well, what was important to this man? Why don't you listen to his music and find out? So that's kind of how it, how it all came about to begin with. Yeah, that, that, it struck me uh, as I was going through the book how it was obvious that you caught on to the fact that he did in fact invent a genre of music. And because I think, you know, the general public thinks of it as old time mountain music or, you know, something that just evolved over time. And it did a little bit, mm -hmm. but it, it, it was very obvious that you picked up on the fact that, well, it, it had a lot of influences, but it was certainly the creation of, his own, you know, of his own thought of what to put together. Not that it didn't change and it's still changing over time, but right. Uh, about what, uh, about what year was that you went through? Um, I think it was, well, I was just looking today um, at some of my old emails and um, the first time I thought about Bill Monroe was like 2013, 2012, 2013, yeah. right in there. So um, it's, it takes a while to do a picture book and we'll, we can talk more about that later, but um yeah, it, it, it's been years now. It's now, been years now. You revealed to me as we were exchanging emails that you played the mandolin. And I, I, I have <laughs> to bring that up because the audience of this podcast are a whole lot of people who primarily are learning to play or do play. And uh, you just have to tell us. Uh, well, I have to ask, did you take it up before or after this, uh, this beam of light hit you on top of the head? Okay, well... It after for sure. Okay. Um, and I wouldn't even say I play the mandolin. I would say I struggle to play the mandolin. <laughs> Join the crowd. There's a lot of us out there. I've had no, but um, <laughs> I, I, I am uh, in my mid fifties and um, never played a string instrument in my life. So my left hand does not know, literally does not want to know what my right hand is doing. And um, what happened is uh, this is really funny. Something about the mandolin. When I was a tiny little girl, and it's unusual how all this stuff from childhood does stick in your head when you write children's books. I um, had a girlfriend whose father was from Italy and played one of those old round back mandolins. Right. 
The old you tater know? bug. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm sure there's no name for it in Italian, but I never knew what it was. And um, every time she had a birthday party, he would bring out the mandolin. And being, you know, that it was her grandfather, she would always be like, oh, Grandpa, don't play, don't play. And I remember <laughs> that sound, though, fascinating. Some sounds stick with you. And that I just thought that mandolin was a beautiful sound. And um, no, I wrote the whole book on Bill Monroe. It never occurred to me. I was busy writing it and busy writing other books too. So I didn't really pick it up. And I thought, gosh, I wonder if I'd be able to play. So I did um, really for this past Christmas, bought myself I bought myself a Christmas present of a mandolin. I've had legitimately five, like five lessons and I'm just struggling. I'm just noodling around. I would not in a million years say I play it at all. I struggle with it. Well, I encourage you to continue. And if you need some encouragement, go back to some of my early podcasts uh, yeah. about, uh, well, that exact subject. Uh, tell, uh, tell us a little bit about, I, I saw on your, on your website that you have quite a few other children's books uh, it kind of help us go through the process. I, when I was talking to you about this, I said, I'm so glad that you did this because it was something I had thought of a long time ago. And I just didn't know how to go about it. I mean, I thought I could sit down and write a book, but I, I didn't know anything at all about the process of making it show up at the library, you know, right. and, and you've obviously done that. Uh, tell us some about the other books you've written and a little bit about how the process takes place. Well, I, um, I tend to write, um, books about real people. Um, and most of them are pretty well known, like a Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, Joe DiMaggio kind of people. Um, some artists, Vincent van Gogh, and some are not that well known. Um, I would say Bill Monroe is more on the Thomas Jefferson side than, um, my reason, my most recent book is called The Secret Kingdom. It's about an artist from India named Nek Chand who almost very few people, except for those in the uh, folk art world, have heard of. But um, I just have always loved, my, I have a grandfather who told good stories. Everybody needs a grandfather or grandmother who tells good stories. And um, mine did, and he told me, and I just kind of fell in love with old, with history, basically. And I tend to think of it, um, I think I think that kids really can learn a lot of history through people in the past, as opposed to trying to force them full of dates and places that, that they don't really have a good sense of. Right. I think history really is people and feelings and what they went through. And those are the kind of things that really don't change all that much over time. Um, the other thing that fascinates me about uh, people from history, which is what I read about, is that, you know, no, no child you know, what, what is it? What's there's an, there's an old quote. Abraham Lincoln didn't know he was going to be Abraham Lincoln. Right. Yeah. You know, when kids are growing up and if they just follow, you know, what feels right and what their passions are, a lot of times they can find themselves in some really great places. Um, you know, and it's it, it's not a matter of, you know, I want to be famous someday or I want to change the world. It's like I really, you know, I love to play this mandolin or I love to, you know, speak in front of people or, you know, whatever they whatever they're good at. I love to play basketball, whatever it is. You know, and um, I think kids today just need that kind of encouragement that, you know, that they are people that special people in the world are everywhere, you know, and we can all do do our part. So anyway, that's what I write about. And um, as far as how it all works, um, I. I guess I just, I started reading to my sons when they were young and some of the hist some of the more history or, or, or nonfiction books that I was running across many, many years ago 
were pretty date and place oriented mm -hmm. and I found them kind of boring. And I think my kids did too. Um, but they were, you know, kind of stereotypical boys. They were into real places and baseball players and, you know, they liked that kind of true story stuff. I just didn't like how it was written. So I used to just kind of start making up stories and sent in a few and got a number of rejections. I want to say, gosh, I don't know, somewhere between 25 and 100 people told me that some of my stories stink um, <laughs> until the first one, you know, it kind of got through. And then you can, you know, from then on, it's, it becomes a matter of, you know, having people in place like agents and editors that, you know, that trust that you know what you're doing. And um, yeah, nothing helps. Nothing yeah. helps success like a little success. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But just like anything else, you know, just like the fact that I, uh, uh, you know, I'm frustrated right now with the mandolin. When you first start, you're going to hear a lot of no's and there's some frustration, you know, and you just got to kind of push through it. So, yeah, well, when I was a kid, my mother worked in a library and I was one of those kids that hung around a library a lot. And I know how influential books in the library can be to a kid. And, and I think this is just a great vehicle to get our bluegrass message across to some unknown child. I often have thought that when, when I was on stage playing, you know, there may just be one person out there who's maybe seeing this for the first time and, and will take it up. And, and a lot of times you don't ever meet that person, but they are out there because I was once that person out there right. seeing it done. And I know a book can do that same thing. My son, I had him read the book to my <laughs> wife and I, and he was going through it. And of course I was, as, as he read it, I was waiting for the hammer to drop. And for that, I, I was just fully expecting he's going to turn the page and I'm going to say, oh, wait a minute, that ain't right. <laughs> but it never happened. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was a little shocked because I thought, it's sure to have something in it that is just totally not right at all. And, and I was very impressed historically. I'm, I'm not a historian, but I've been around bluegrass for a long time and you hit the nail on the head. You really, it's very accurate. And then I was so happy when I, we got to the end of it and I started looking through your bibliography and the, there was a photograph of Bill in there and looking at those sources, it looked like, a lot of the stuff that clogs up my bookshelves <laughs> and I can tell you did your research. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about, I, I saw Fred Bartenstein was what, yeah. the first person you acknowledged. Tell us a little bit about him. Oh, he was so helpful. What and the research. Um, well, I have a very good, very particular editor named Carolyn Yoder at Hawkins Creek, who is uh, well known for her um, insistence that her authors um, get it right. And also, you know, over time, one of the things that I've learned about children's literature in, uh, in 2018 is that we're expected to get it right. Just as right as if you were writing for adults. I mean, there's no reason that children should have to, um, you know, deal with nonfiction or true stories that are, you know, less, less than what you would tell an adult. Um, they just need to be told in a, in a way that children can understand. So anyway, um, what I did first when I got back from Indiana is my son, who was a business major there, had no, um, had one folklore class, um, just as an elective. And I literally uh, texted my son and said, Hey, you know, who's your folklore teacher at Indiana? And he gave me a name. And, um, I emailed that professor, said, you don't know me, my kids in your class. Do you know anything about bluegrass in Indiana? Do you know who, you know, who in Indiana or who in Indiana or Kentucky might be someone I could contact? Turns out her husband was an ethnomusicologist at Indiana, specializing in bluegrass. How's that for a connection? Yeah. 
So he literally like uh, through her, I got a list of like, start by reading this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously that's a lot of Neil Rosenberg, Bartenstein, all, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, he gave me a list of about 10 or 15, um, uh, you know, Bill Monroe oriented or bluegrass history oriented things. I started there, um, wound up um, talking to some folks at the Bluegrass Museum that in, in Owensboro, mm-hmm. um, which I know was closed for a while. And I think it's opened back up or will be soon. I don't know what's going on over there. And um, it, through them, got to Fred directly. Uh, Neil Rosenberg took a look at it. Nancy Cardwell. I mean, there's a whole slew of people, some people from Middle Tennessee State. At some point, you know, I just, my publisher insists, and, and I just kind of pride myself on getting it the way it should be. So, and, and in bluegrass, you know, there's nothing if not 5,000 opinions about everyone. Right. right. I'm sure there'll be. <laughs> and, and even then I'm sure there's people who could argue with what, you know, what we settled on. But um, I will tell you, I can't, I went from a lot of, went to a lot of different corners to try to get the general consensus. You know what I mean? Like, all yeah. right, you guys, but, but I get it, but what could I tell a third grader? You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, what, what, what's really, cause obviously there's parts of Monroe's life too, that are not particularly elementary school appropriate. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> but, I, um, I, I really talk do talk about the music. So I really do feel like you did capture the essence of, of what he is all about. Uh, one of the things that struck me about the book obviously are the illustrations. Uh, could you talk a little bit about, um, I, I let me get the book here. Who illustrated Edwin, uh, fathering him. Yeah. Uh, tell right. us about that. I was curious whether, you know, how much input you as the author have into that process or is it you hand the text over and the, your publisher just takes care of that. The stuff is beautiful. That, that oh. title page should be a t-shirt. You guys oh. should be selling that title page as a t-shirt for sure. Great. Um, well, I'll have to have you made one <laughs> so, for doing this to, interview. I'll so make, make my um, own if you guys don't yeah. come out with one. <laughs> um, well, Edwin, the way it works, it actually is that, yes, I write a story first. Um, we do not have an illustrator mind. The author does not hire an illustrator. That's just not usually how it goes in professional publishing. Um, so I wrote the whole entire story. Um, it went to my agent. My agent had it go to Calkins Creek because she can, you know, it can be sold to different publishers. In this case, we thought this was the right place. Um, and then the editor, the people at, at, at uh, the publishing company, uh, take a look out in the children's book world and, and come up with a, a couple of illustrators that they think might be good for the job. In in this case, I think, I gosh, I really think Edwin was like the very first person we, that they thought of. Um, as an author, I don't really get like a, you know, a thumbs up or a thumbs down on that kind of a decision. Most yeah. of the time, the illustrators are so phenomenal. I mean, you know, my, my, my illustration ability, it consists of a pencil and a stick figure, you know what I mean? So there's <laughs> certainly nothing I'm going to bring to the table. Um, and in most cases, you um, you know, they just bring so much, you know, they just bring so much talent to it, as you can see. So, no, I don't really get, um, you know, any, any um, specific, I mean, any general input, like, you know, you know, the, the, you know, his pants should be red or his pants should be yellow or any of that kind right, of stuff. Right. We do take a look at sketches, though. And I know that um, a number of my experts also, we, we uh, decided to send the sketches just because there was so much about bluegrass that, you know, we, we wanted to understand those sketches were also sent to uh, at least three different experts that I can, um, remember. 
and um, gone through about like, is this what, you know, mom would have worn on her head? Is this what yeah. Willie would have, you know, just literally we kind of went through, probably drove Edwin crazy at some point, although I didn't have to <laughs> hear from him directly. But um, yeah, the sketches were also vetted too for accuracy as, you know, as much as is possible. So, yeah, well, it, you know, Uncle Penn looks like Uncle Penn. So obviously sure Edwin must have <laughs> taken a look at some of those old photo photographs as he was working. Right. Um, and Arnold Schultz looks like Arnold Schultz, too. Indeed. So, you know, they're all in there. And and thank whoever needs to be thanked for the additional information that was at the back, uh, the photos and the, the extra information. You know, a lot of times books that were, were done, children's books 30 years ago didn't have that stuff. And, you know, this book is perfectly valid as an introduction to bluegrass for an, an adult as well, because all they have to do is take a look at that information in the back and just keep on digging. Yeah, um, yeah. Tell everybody how they can get their copy. Well, it is available at any local independent bookstore um, by order. Maybe it'll be there if it's in Kentucky and some other places. I hope it's in your store. If not, you, they can all order it. Um, any chain, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, or um, you can, if you want to, go to my publisher's website, um, which will be on your page, I believe. Yes, I'll put um, a link on the show yeah, notes page. it's boydsmillspress.com, and then those, there's uh, ways you can order right from their website also. Yeah, and I, by the way, found my copy on Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. The website Madeline Cafe had a, had a mention about it back, I guess, a few months ago, uh, mm -hmm. where it was, they were taking pre-orders, so I got mine in real quick. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love the book. Thanks so much for doing it. This thing is going to be around longer than you are. So thank you from from all the bluegrassers out there. Thank you. And whatever you do, uh, keep playing that mandolin. <laughs> I will try. Now I have to try. Now you shame me into it. That's my thank job. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was my pleasure. I love to learn about this music and, and it'll be part of me for the rest of my life. Even if it's only listening to it, but I'll, I'll keep trying. That left hand's got to come someday. <laughs> it will. It will. Hang in there, Barb. And thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Barb Rosenstock about the new book, Bluegrass Boy. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, you can go over to the show notes page. Just go to grasstalkradio.com, slide down to this episode and click there, and I will put links to her website and the information where you can get your own copy of the book. You may want to buy it for yourself as a bluegrass fan, or you may want to buy a copy for some children that you know or your grandchildren, or pick up a copy and donate it to your local library to be certain that they have Bluegrass Boy on the shelves. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next podcast.